scripture today is Genesis chapter 50, verse 17. I know you're settled in. Stand up one more time with me and let's read this one verse. Here we go. Jacob has sent word. He's, he's passed and he's been buried. And he said, all you boys, go back and tell Joseph. And this is what he says. Read it with me. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Bow your heads with me. Father, we've all been in that place. We've been victims of scandal. We've been in the trap of offense. We've been scandalized. We've been hurt. And Father, while we're being honest this morning, we've all been perpetrators of that same evil. We've hurt others. We've hurt you. We've hurt your people. And God, we stand before you this morning and we ask you to cleanse us and forgive us of our sin. Thank you that we realize how critical forgiveness is for our relationship with you and for our relationships with each other. Spirit of God, you are the only teacher. Come into this place this morning and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Without you, I'm worthless. I can't do anything apart from you, but with you, I can speak with the oracles of God today and plant a seed and give a word that will be intricately tailored for each and every individual in this place and the word that he or she needs to hear. Spirit of God, only you can do that. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. David Ponder has so far been in the council of a president, Harry Truman, and he learned that the buck stops there. Personal responsibility. He was entertained in the court of a regal king, Solomon himself, and he learned, Solomon taught him, I will seek wisdom. From there he moved to the terror of a battlefield when a nation was attempting to destroy itself from the inside out in the Civil War accompanied and taught by a teacher-turned-soldier, Joshua Chamberlain, who taught him that I am a person of action. From there, he slipped up into the crow's nest and looked up into the faith-filled eyes of the greatest adventurer in the days of discovery, Christopher Columbus, who said, you may not see the land out there, but you have to look into my eyes at this point to see it, but you will see the land. And he learned that he had to have a decided heart. That to walk by faith and not by sight means that I must gather strength from something else besides my humanity. It has to come from the well of the spirit. It has to come from way down deep on the inside. From there, he left and went into hiding with a young teenage girl by the name of Anne Frank in the perilous times of the 1940s when the maniacal, demon-possessed tyrant by the name of Adolf Hitler was attempting to install the Third Reich and raise up a master race to rule the planet, young Anne Frank, who was herself and her family the victim of genocidal hate, hatred that was pernicious, hatred that saw a man only based on the color of his skin and the origin of his or her birth, and made a determination whether that person was worthy of living or dying. 
Anne Frank was on the receiving end, the victim side of that, and she taught us that each day today I will choose to be happy. The Nazis may come in and steal my freedom. They may take my food and my comfort and every available stretch and stitch of human dignity may be robbed from me, but one thing cannot be taken from me and that is finally my choice and how I choose to respond when people treat me wrongly. I choose to be happy. I love the words of that song that Abby sang this morning, and it was really kind of a last-minute thing to pull it together. We were coming back from a choir concert at A-State last night and enjoying some really great choir songs, and Marion did a great job representing the, the South here and choirs from all over the area and people in the, that had won regional were singing, and we came back home talking about that and just some great old stuff. And I just had this song in my heart. I said, baby, I'd just really like you just to just tag that song after you finish the worship. Just tag it with, I sing because I'm happy. And you know, I, there's some truth to that, but I believe that it's also conversely true. I'm happy because I sing. I can be in dire circumstances. I can be in a place when everything around me would be screaming for me to have anything except happiness. But as a Christian... I believe that my joy doesn't depend upon circumstances, but my joy depends upon one who is constant and he is absolute and he is unchanging. And in the middle of death all around me, I'm in touch with the one who is life. And I can have some joy and I can, I can be happy because I've chosen to sing even in the middle of circumstances where there is no joy. How did David say it? I will bless the Lord every now and then when I feel like it, his praise will be in my... Is that how he said it? No, he said... I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hit the pause button on David Ponder for a moment. He's about to step in to a tent, into a room that's appointed with the furniture of someone that looks official. And he looks out the flap of what he realizes is a tent and he sees that there's a huge crowd all around and there are bands playing. And then in a moment, the music stops and a very skilled orator stands to speak. He has no idea at this point who it is. He can tell by the, the dress, the style of clothing of the people that are out there in multitudes on what appears to be a cemetery. But he hasn't yet been able to picture where he is. And in the tent, he notices that a young man, very well-dressed, comes in, and the guy obviously can't see him, so he, he realizes that it's, this is not the fellow that I'm supposed to talk to and learn this lesson from. Let me just say to you, I realize, I fully recognize that this is a self-help book that we're looking at here at Victory for these eight weeks. But when I read it two years ago, something that struck me was that every one of these principles that David Ponder is learning are all rooted deeply in Scripture. They're all biblical principles. And I've learned that if I sow a Bible principle, I will reap a Bible result. Success in life does not have so much to do with the way the world gauges success in the bottom line or the checkbook or how many cars in the garage how many garages on the house or the square footage of the house or all of the accoutrements of success, the trappings. But success in the Christian life, although I do believe that God wants you to have good things and he wants you to be a steward over the things which you do have 
and hold them in proper tension, realizing that they are only a means and they are not the end, but he is the only end in itself. A long, tall, stately, yet very lanky, just like he had seen in the history books. The pictures had portrayed him. The 16th president of the United States of America walked into the tent and David standing there with his jaw going, wow, I'm about to have a chance to talk to one of the heroes of history. President Abraham Lincoln has him sit, if you're reading the book with us, It's a great exchange about the frustrations that he's facing and the horrible place in his own life. His son Willie has just died and his other son is at home sick and his wife did not want him to leave the White House to go to where he was. And this is where David Ponder finally realized what was taking place in history. President Abraham Lincoln was coming to deliver the dedication address, put his presidential blessing on the dedication of the Gettysburg Cemetery. Ponder stops and scratches his head and he says, wow, I was just here four months ago or was it, was it an hour ago when I was with Joshua Chamberlain and the bullets were flying? And so he has to stop for a moment and gather himself and think, I've got to get everything I can out of this. I've got to squeeze all the juice out of this grape, so to speak, this experience. I don't know why I've been blessed to be able to talk to all these people in history, but I want to get everything I can from President Lincoln. And President Lincoln talks about the fact that they are two men very much alike, having experienced some of the darkest hours of their lives. Don't raise your hand, but if if you're here this morning and you know what I'm talking about where everything it looks like it's stacked against you and you can't seem to get a break and you, you, you are trying and you are believing and you are faithing it with all you've got and trusting God and it just seems like at every turn and every corner, like Abraham Lincoln who inherited the mess that he had from President Buchanan and, and we know the story of David Ponder having lost two jobs and his daughter is sick and you know what? Put your personal circumstances in the blank in this story. May have lost your job recently looking for one. Maybe some bad news in a health report. It could be a a relationship that's, that's just not as healthy as it used to be. It could be on the rocks this morning. Circumstances are varied in this room. You gather a group of people this size and you have all kinds of problems that are sitting here. And I want to tell you, I sense the weight of the burden of the Lord to bring to you something today that will give you hope in the middle of circumstances that might right now look like they are not going to change. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I Holy lean on Jesus' name. There's a rock this morning that I'm talking about. They had a conversation that went on and he talked about the circumstances that he was facing as president and how difficult it was. And He looks at David at one point and he basically says, you know what, you're from the future. Can you tell me, do we win this thing? And David Ponder looks at him and nods his head and President Lincoln, you can see the faintest of a smile cross his face. That face that had already been weathered with the pain of history that had been made in three years' time from 1860 to 1863. It was November. It was this month, 149 years ago, when Abraham Lincoln was going to leave the tent and walk to the platform, and he would make that very short yet extremely powerful history-making speech where he said, Four score and seven years ago today, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, birthed in liberty, 
having heard in history Abraham Lincoln make that speech, David ponder, his, his mind is whirling. What did all this mean when he said, I must choose to greet the day with the forgiving spirit. David was thinking back when he had asked President Lincoln after the frustration he'd experienced of nine different generals who couldn't bring the war to an end and he had finally put Grant in his place and everybody had vilified him. He'd been crucified in the press. Various generals who wrote books on war theory but had never been in battle had tried and failed. Everybody was critical of Lincoln, and he was just trying to hold a nation together. And in the conversation David Ponder had asked him, he had said, when this is all over, what are you going to do? And President Lincoln said, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to greet the day with a forgiving spirit. I'm going to make the choice to be forgiving of those who've said things against me, who haven't understood me, who've even fought on the other side against the cause which I represent. And David said, what? How? What do you mean? President Lincoln had said to him, God rarely uses a man whose soul-consumed time is all about worrying what others think of him. You have to be ready if you're going to be a person of influence or a leader in any area and recognize that people are going to criticize you no matter what you do. And it was Lincoln himself who said, you can please some of the people all the time, and all the people some of the time, but you never can please all the people all the time. And he talked about the importance of walking in forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is that secret blessing that's right there uh, among you, but it really has no value until it's given away. And when it's given away, then the value of it is recognized. He says, I'll choose to greet the day with a forgiving spirit. He said, those are the words that are needed to begin to heal a nation that has been severed and ripped open from its very inside. Pause the button there with Abraham Lincoln and David Ponder and go with me to the back of the book of Genesis several thousand years prior. Five men dominate 50 chapters. Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Number five. 50 chapters of which 12 are dedicated to telling the story of a young man who was 10 of 11. He was one of 11 brothers. He had 10 others. Benjamin had not yet been born. And the thing that made Joseph um, a pet to his father Jacob was that he was the only one who had been born to Rachel. And everybody in the house knew that Jacob loved Rachel. He looked at Rachel differently than he did Leah. Leah he tolerated. The father-in-law had pulled a bait and switch on him. He'd worked seven years wanting to get Rachel and the father-in-law basically said, no, that's not our custom. We have to marry this one first. And he wakes up the next morning and he takes a look at it and he goes, "Um, it must have been real dark last night. Because this is not the deal that I made. And you know, he worked seven more But the Bible says they were but a few days because he loved Rachel so much. All you ladies just ought to be really goggle-eyed at this. This is just such a beautiful love story. Jacob loved Rachel. He was crazy about her. And Leah, the Lord opened her womb. And Rachel's womb was barren. And Rachel grieved over it. She cried out to God. And when she finally did birth one, 
God gave Jacob and Rachel Joseph. And Joseph was petted. He was loved. He was, he, he, he was one that the rest of the brothers realized that dad really did probably love him a little bit differently. He took him to the tailor and he had a coat made for him that had the colors of the rainbow on it. And Joseph probably was a typical little smart aleck kid who sashayed around in various kinds of ways, sort of putting it in the face of some of his older brothers. Probably not a lot of wisdom. Had some rough edges that needed to be dealt with. Jacob petted Joseph because he loved Joseph. He was crazy about Joseph because Joseph was his only one born to the woman that he loved more than anything in the world. Jacob, even in, I'm sorry, Joseph, even in the middle of all of his immaturity and areas, he still was a young man that had the hand of God on him. There was destiny on his life and he was marked for leadership. And God started talking to Joseph about it. Even when he was young, he started having dreams and he woke up one morning having had a dream the night before that all the sheaves of wheat out in the field representing his various brothers came and bowed down before his sheaf of wheat. And instead of holding it in his heart and praying over it, he decided to go tell them. And how many of you know that probably was not really good news to the rest of the brothers to hear <laughs> that this little snotty-nosed punk that they really didn't have a lot of love for, who's in the Ralph Lauren multicolored coat he's got on, thinks he's going to rule over all of us. And they were behind the scenes already gritting their teeth and probably plotting. And he has another dream. He dreams that that the sun and moon and all of the stars came and bowed down before him as a star. And literally, this brought the ire of the parents. Jacob and Rachel themselves said, are you serious, son? You really believe that mom and dad are going to come and bow down before you? And he said, I, look, I'm just telling you what the dream was. And it was, it was a true dream, that it was, but it's going to take years for it to come to pass. God was going to raise him up to be a leader. And you know the story of Joseph the brothers are so vexed because they see so much favor on his life. They're all out tending the sheep on the back 40 back there. And Jacob sends Joseph out with some cheese and dates and raisins and things to check on the boys and see how they're doing. And, and they see him coming and they plot. Several of them make some suggestions. Oh, let's, let's, let's kill him. No, 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 don't kill him. Reuben stood in in the face, in, 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 in the place for mediating it and saying, no, 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 let's don't do anything wrong in the sight of God. Let's don't kill him. You know the story, they threw him into a pit and here's the roving band of Ishmaelites, I think, or that are out there that are coming. Some Arabs that are always running across on the desert at, at various convenient times and here they come and so they sell Joseph into slavery. They kill a goat and they smear the blood of the goat all over that multicolored coat and take it back to his dad and say, your son was mauled by an animal. This is his coat. Is this not his coat you had made for him? Whew, man, if anybody was scandalized in the scripture, it was Joseph. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's a young punk kid. He's, he's a dreamer. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's probably talking a little bit too big. He's writing checks with his mouth that his backside can't cash at this point. You know, and he's not using a lot of wisdom, and I understand that. But the boy didn't deserve to be pitted and sold into slavery. Now, you know, he probably could have had a good butt whooping. I'm sure the brothers really wanted to do that. And, but they sold him into slavery, and you know the story, 13 years it takes before 
The dreams that he had ever come to pass. 13 in scripture is the number of rebellion. Joseph waited 13 years because God was dealing with everything in him that he had to get out of him so that he'd be ready for the throne when he makes it to it. David ran from Saul for 13 years. God was preparing David's heart to get all the Saul out of him so that when he got to the throne, he wouldn't rule like Saul did. 13 in scripture always speaks of rebellion. Maybe that's why we as a whole culture still see some things biblically and we are always concerned when our children hit those teenage years, which really hits at 13. Joseph sold into slavery and he's working for Potiphar and he's well-respected. He's a young man. He's growing. He's good-looking, the Bible says. He's built. He's muscular. And, you know, he must have really gotten the attention big time of Potiphar's wife because she basically just threw herself on him. She was one of those Canaanite cougars who was after this good-looking young dude. (laughs) And he runs. No, no, no. I can't do that. I couldn't do that to, to my God. I couldn't do that to your husband who is my master and he's been nothing but good to me. He's entrusted his whole estate to me. Everywhere Joseph went, there was favor on him. There was leadership on him. When he does end up in prison, they make him the head of the prison. <laughs> Not a title that he set out to gain. <laughs> and so, you know the story. She grabs his coat. His, his clothes are always getting Joseph in trouble. He runs. He flees. The scripture that's going to be written several thousand years later from Paul to Timothy where he said, flee youthful lust, flee fornication. Joseph has the spirit of Christ even on the inside of him and he's running from evil. He's running away from it. But she grabs his coat, strips it off of him and he runs. And when she calls the men of the house in from the field, she cries rape and she has the coat to prove it. And therefore, her word is taken over Joseph's and he goes straight to the prison, to the bottom of the prison. Psalm 105 says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph in prison. It says, and his feet were in fetters and the word of the Lord tried him. I mean, you know, sometimes the truth has a way. Yes, it will make you free, but before it makes you free, it'll make you miserable. How many of you know sometimes a dream that you have because it doesn't happen in the time that you think it's going to happen or that you think that it should happen, sometimes that very dream can become a word that tries you. It wrestles with you. I know Abraham's dream for a son, uh, two generations prior, he had to fight with it. David's dream for the throne running from Saul, he had to fight with it. Joseph's dream to rule and to lead, and he's wondering, what, is this gonna, what does this mean? How God, how in this world, God, can I lead if I'm in the bottom of the prison? And yet, and the Bible says throughout those 12 chapters, the, the very closing chapters of the book of Genesis, it says numerous times that Joseph stayed sweet in prison. Wow, what a lesson for us to learn. Those of you who feel this morning that the man is keeping you down, or the boss, or the supervisor, or whatever the circumstances are, that everywhere you turn, it seems like you can't. It's just another layer is revealed. The piece of the onion comes off, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And somehow in the middle of that, if you can grab a hold of the determination to say, I'm going to stay sweet, then God has something he can work with in you. And you know the rest of the story. A couple of Pharaoh's servants get thrown down into the prison, and it's the 
it's the cupbearer and it's the baker. And, and the circumstances that happen is that they both have a dream and Joseph's the only one who has the ability, the, the, the spirit of God on the inside of him to be able to interpret the dream and they both come to pass exactly as Joseph said they would. One loses his head, the other one is restored to his position. The cupbearer of the king is restored. Oh, Joseph, when I get up there, listen, I'm going to help you out because I know that, that you were done wrong and, and I'm going to put in a good word for you to Pharaoh, except it takes him two years to remember to do that. Two years. I can imagine what Joseph felt the next day when the cupbearer goes back up and he's thinking, I'm going to get out of here. And a day turns into a week and the hours are dragging by. And somewhere along the line, he had to make his decision. You know what? I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to stay sweet down here in the middle of this circumstance that I didn't choose. I'm going to walk in forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. I don't want to give you seven principles real quick. Number one, forgiveness is central to the gospel. We do not have any good news. There is no good in the good news if it does not include forgiveness. Forgiveness is the Greek word aphesis. And it literally means to release from penalty, to be set free from prison. It means to pardon For this pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are pardoned. We have been set free. We have been released. The penalty that is upon us is central to the gospel. Forgiveness of sin, my restoration, my reconciliation with God the Father. Forgiveness literally is because of the upward reach of the bar of the cross. Restoring God to man. The God-man hung, suspended between heaven and earth. And forgiveness between God and man is that upward-reaching bar of the cross. The blood was shed downward, and it opened up the door upward for me to access the presence of God, a new and living way into the Holy of Holies. Yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Forgiveness is central to the gospel. Listen to this from the message. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all of our misdeeds, and not just free either, abundantly free. Not just barely free, but abundantly free. Come on, everybody say abundantly free. And because I'm free now between God and myself, Jesus stretches out to show us the completion and that is the horizontal bar of the cross. I have to, because I have been forgiven this way, I have to give away forgiveness this way. Forgiveness has no value until it's given, but yet it's the secret right there in front of us, wrapped up in a mystery. Jesus chose to give the forgiveness of the Father, not counting our trespasses against us, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Forgiveness to each other is so critical that it is the only thing, number two, my second point in the Lord's Prayer, it is the only petition with a condition. I want you to get that. Forgiveness, everything else. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. All of those are, are simple declarations. Except for the one that says, forgive us 
our trespasses as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. It is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer with a condition, a stipulation, a requirement. If I'm going to enjoy the forgiveness between me and God, then I have a demand, a command of Scripture. I've been mandated by God himself that I would choose to forgive everyone who has wronged me. Oh, pastor, are you serious? Are you telling me that if I don't forgive that person who did this awful thing to me, that God is going to hold my sins in account against me? Well, let me just ask you this. Go with me this morning. You don't have to turn there, but just remember the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 18 called the parable of the unforgiving servant. A loyal servant who is loved by his king literally owes the king millions of dollars in today's economic Ratio, what would the value be today would be millions of dollars compared to what it was when the story was being told at that particular time. He had no way to pay it and the servant fell at the feet of the king and cried out for mercy and the king says, because you are a faithful servant, a loyal servant and I love you, I'm going to forgive you of your debt. And instead of celebrating and out of the abundance of the love and the forgiveness that he had experienced going out and sharing it and pouring it out on everybody else, he should have held a party and just said, everybody, your debts are paid. You don't owe me anything. But he left the presence of the king and he went and caught Joe in the courtyard who owed him a 20 spot. Owed him 20 bucks. And he said, pay me. Pay me now. But I can't pay you. Well, that's fine. You're going to go to jail then. And so the servant who had just been forgiven millions of dollars by his king out of love held his friend and put him in prison because he owed him 20 bucks. The king heard about it and immediately went ballistic on him and threw him into prison and said, you will stay there until you have paid me every penny. King James says every farthing, every last cent. Now, when he was outside of prison and had a job, he didn't have the ability to pay it back. When you're in prison and you can't work, if you can't work, you can't earn money because you're in prison and don't have a job. There is no way for you to ever pay it back. It is a, an impossibility. Yes, when I don't walk in forgiveness with others, then I am held in the prison of the repayment of everything that I ever owed. I have to choose to greet each day with a forgiving spirit. Number three, love doesn't keep a log of offenses. We have to learn to look at each other in a different light. The passage of scripture that we read at weddings all the time, referred to as the love chapter, love hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, the King James in one passage says, it thinks no evil. I love the NIV because it gives us such a more clear understanding of what that phrase means. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's like the old guy who was talking about every time he gets into an argument with his wife, she's screaming and she gets hysterical. And the other guy says, well, that's a, I'm going to tell you, I got it a lot worse because every time I get into an argument with my wife, she doesn't just get hysterical, she gets historical. She reminds me of everything I've ever done wrong. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's the Greek word logazomahi. Let's say that. 
logazomahi. Say it again, logazomahi. It's related to the root word logos. Logos, which means word. Jesus is the logos of God. It's used to mean an account. Like a steward has to give an account. You have to open the books and we have to reconcile the bank account. It is a log. It's a logazomahi. It's a record. It's a word. It's an account for. We settle. The steward settles. But love doesn't keep a general journal with debits and credits in everything that you have wronged someone or have received or been a victim of. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I I, I couldn't help this. Number four, this was on the the sign at Missouri Street Church of Christ for about two weeks, and I think it was a couple weeks back, and it's so good. As I was preparing this message, it just popped into my memory again, and it said, holding a grudge is letting someone live rent-free in your head. When you have something against someone else because you've been hurt, you've been wounded, you've been scandalized, you've been trapped in the trap of offense. Holding a grudge is letting someone live rent-free in your head. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Even as you've been forgiven. Now turn it around and pour it out on somebody else. Forgive your brothers and your sisters. When we partake of communion here at Victory, it is a renewal of the covenant. It is, is we're saying we're choosing to walk by the Lord's prayer, which we pray. Forgive us our, Luke says our trespasses, but I love the Matthew passage. It, it puts it in economic terms. Forgive us our debts as we forgive what? Our debtors. If I'm indebted to you, I have to pay up. I have to make it right. If you're indebted to me, There's something that when I keep a log of it, that when I see you, I put on my debt collection glasses. Yes, I'm calling to speak to, and this communication is to inform you that it is an attempt to collect a debt. When we keep a log, when we put a record of wrongs, we are holding grudges in our heart against others. We're letting them live rent-free in our heads. They're dominating our circumstances the way we think. I, I, I can go back and remember things that have happened in my life and sometimes have to make a fresh start and say, God, I choose to release them and let them go. Because if I start to meditate on all the things that were, have been done to me a couple of times in my lives that where I was a victim and things that were said that weren't true and even things that were done to me, against me, even as a youngster, a child, I, 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 can, I can get a physiological response. It, it, just, it causes anger to stir up and my heartbeat starts to uh, increase faster and faster and I pop out in a sweat and I get angry and... It, it starts to, to affect me, and I realize, okay, i got to do something about this. I've got to pray about this again. I thought I had forgiven and forgotten it. Obviously, I haven't forgotten it, but God, I make a choice again. I release that person. I let them go. I forgive in Jesus' name. I'm not going to hold a grudge. See, I really believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, get the log out of your eye. Number five. Get the log out of your eye. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, he says that we're not to judge lest we be judged. He says, because how you judge is, it's going to come back on you. Now, this doesn't mean that you throw discernment out the door because you have to make judgments every day. But it's talking about the kind of judgment that becomes condemnation, where you look down on someone condemning them. 
Because if you have this kind of critical condemnation on you, then that's the kind of thing that's going to come back on you. It's with that same measure that you will be judged. And he says, you're walking around here trying to help your brothers with specks in their eyes, and you've got this great big huge log out of yours. Let's get the log out of yours first. I don't believe we're talking so much about a plank or a timber. I believe it's a perspective that we put on. I believe it's a record of wrongs. I believe it's a logozomahi. I believe it's a play on words that I'm making here, but it's because I've kept a journal of everything that you've done against me. And when I see you, I see you as somebody who's in debt to me. And I put on my debt collector's glasses. And I want you to grovel. Maybe I'm too plain this morning. But that's what we do as humans. And because we do that to others, we think that God expects that from us. When he poured out all of his wrath upon Jesus Christ, his son at the cross, and literally beat it out of him so that we would not have to endure an eternity of debtor's prison in hell. Where it's impossible to pay it back. Number six, Joseph goes to Egypt. He's brought up out of there and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. You know the end of the story, it's amazing. Nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And finally, two years later, the cupbearer remembers, oh my goodness, there is this amazing, so much potential, talented young guy down there in the prison who's basically running the place. But he's in touch with God and he's, he has a sweetness about him. He's a, he's a, he has an attitude in the middle of all the stuff that's happened to him. He's chosen not to live like a victim. And he interpreted a dream that I had and it came to pass, Pharaoh. Call him up. I guarantee you he can figure out what this seven fat cows and seven lean cows consuming them means. And Joseph has wisdom that only God could have given and he has to shave his face and get his appearance right. And he goes and appears before Pharaoh. And by the anointing and the authority of God himself, he speaks and prophesies and interprets the dream. And Pharaoh is so overwhelmed in the presence of this young leader that he immediately says, that's the voice of the gods. And he raises him up and he makes him prime minister in Egypt. Puts the ring of authority on his finger. Joseph puts a business plan in place to save the grain from seven years of abundance in order to be able to feed the known world for seven years of famine that are about to come. Joseph is second in command. Nobody more powerful in Egypt than him other than Pharaoh himself. Petted by his father, pitted by his brothers. Finally, he was lifted, put on the throne. And when he got there, He's in a precarious position because he's going to have to serve his own brothers who were the means that God used to put him into the pit to take him on that 13-year journey to get him ready to be a ruler in Egypt. Some of you are in the middle of some circumstances right now that you just don't have a clue why it's happening the way it is. And all I'm saying to you is greet each day with a forgiving spirit and stay sweet in your personal prison, whatever it is right now. Make that decision. Make that decision. Joseph marries royalty and he has a couple of boys. And the very first one, he names his son Manasseh. And Manasseh means forgetfulness. He had to make a choice. I'm going to forget what is in my past. I'm moving on. And not long behind that one, God brought him another son. His name was Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitfulness. Literally, it means double fruitfulness. Some of you are looking for fruitfulness in your life. Maybe God's waiting for, first of all, for you to birth some forgetfulness 
so that your past doesn't have to mark you, doesn't have to dictate. It may have made you who you are to this point, but it doesn't determine who you can become in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? We've all made mistakes. Everybody in the room has a past. God says, birth Manasseh, birth forgetfulness, and then I will bring to you fruitfulness. Both of these sons are very powerful in Joseph's life. This morning I'm finished, number seven. Pour it out on yourself because God has forgiven and forgotten. Pour it out on yourself. It's sometimes easier to forgive others than it is for me to give me. Because I'm my own worst critic. I look back over the years and I see the mistakes that I've made just trying to be the best leader that I could be and trying to stand in the face of criticism. Sometimes you just you wonder where, how can it keep coming from different sides? And we're, we're in a glory day these last couple of years. People getting saved, churches growing. I'm not talking about anything that's happening right now, but there were some years there, guys. I'm telling you, it was, it was rough. It was hard. And just people saying things, and I hear about it, and I'm just, God, you got to help me because I want to lay hands on them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and the Lord's going, okay, let me pry those fingers open there, son. You gotta, you're making a fist. <laughs> don't, even look, don't even look at me in that tone of voice. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're just doing the best you can. And just no matter what you do, somebody's going to criticize it. Just, you just get to the point where I just finally go, okay, I'm just, God, I don't want to just get up in the face of it and knee-jerk it and overreact, but I just somehow in the middle of this have to really discover how I can just be myself and just live with it. Are you hearing me? And... Just in the middle of that, of learning how to do that and mistakes I've made in that and people I've hurt. The vast majority, which were not intentional. A couple of folks I really, I, I could have plotted to take an out, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I, now, you know, we try to keep it real here at Victory. But see, you, you don't think pastors think that way. You are just so wrong. We are so human. Amen. and have feelings just like everybody else. Just aren't allowed to show them and don't have anybody we can talk to them about most of the time. <laughs> oh, oh, well. <laughs> and I think, I, you know, I think back and I think, man, if I'd have just done that a little differently. And somewhere along the line, I have to embrace what Abraham Lincoln told David Ponder. He said, no, 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 no. You hold something very powerful in my hands. And when you walk out the flap of that tent and give that speech that I know is so powerful, I will never see you again. You have to tell me who it is I have to forgive. And Lincoln looks back at him and he says, it's you yourself. You have to forgive yourself. Some of you are sitting here this morning and, and it's almost offensive, but you need to forgive God because some stuff has happened that you just didn't sign up for. And you're angry with him. And you know what? He knows it. Don't, don't, don't stand back and pretend and play. You know what? And don't get all pious and just try to, you know, use all churchy religious talk. I mean, let me tell you, if God just anything wants you to go out to the woods and scream and go, I'm mad at you. And if anything else, it's just for you to get it out and go, hey, thank God you're finally being honest. Because, you know, he knows it anyway. It's just right now he knows that you're all balled up and just seething about it. 
Now, this is probably too real for a couple of folks. I don't have anybody in mind when I say that either. I'm just talking about the typical crowd. Oh, I just can't even imagine that you would talk like that. Well, I mean, God already knows that we think like that. The, the best thing you can do is just flat lay it down and get on your face and go, God, I don't understand. Maybe I'm not supposed to understand, but I'm telling you, I'm mad, I'm angry. You're going to have to help me. I, 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 gotta, I need some help. God, forgive me for being angry with you, but God, I choose. I'm going to release you because I had expectations and it hasn't happened the way I thought it would happen. And God, I forgive you. I let it go. And then you have to somewhere along the line to choose to forgive and let everybody else be set free that's around you because they didn't live up to your expectations because guess what? You hadn't lived up to theirs either because we're just people. We're just people and we hurt each other. And sometimes we don't, I, I want to think good. I, I'm a positive person. I think the best of folks. I don't look at you wondering what it is that's, so, that's messed up in there that you're covering up. Some people are all negative. I'm positive. I look at you looking for the best side. I look for the good stuff because I'm looking for Christ on the inside of you. But even in that mix, we've all still got some Adam that's hanging around a little bit. And Adam will wound you. Adam will hurt you. He's a wife beater. And I have to choose to forgive. I have to let it go. And you know what? I can forgive God and I can forgive you. But the hardest one for me to forgive is me standing here myself. Me, me, me. Because it's when everybody else is gone and I'm by myself, I'm the one who still has to deal with me. Because I know what I did. I know the thoughts that I think. I know the struggles that I face. I know, the, I know my humanity. Listen to this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Look at your neighbor right now and say, God's not keeping a log. God is not counting your iniquity against you. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to it from the message in Count yourself lucky how happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you and you're holding nothing back. You're holding nothing back from him. God holds nothing against me and I'm holding nothing back from him. I'm wide open. And because I'm open, I'm free. Abundantly free. I was in a service like this years ago. I was in my 20s and a prophet of God was visiting. And let me just say this. I have to take a moment and explain this because some of you hear that and you go, what are you talking about? I don't think that's for today. Well, let me just tell you, I've, there have been moments when I've been preaching and I've said a word and I knew that it was for somebody and I've spoken prophetically here. I know men of God that are prophets today. Years ago, a friend of mine, Stacy Wood was visiting. We stood up here in the, in the children's church of, of, of this facility and he stood there with his wife and the three of us, and we joined hands, and he started prophesying, talking about the children that would be touched, that would become leaders in the kingdom of God, that would come through that room right up in there where Pastor Haley touches and leads and blesses your children. And Drew was our only child, and, and we hadn't had any more, and we, there was no reason why we shouldn't have any more, and we didn't even know if we were going to be able to have any more because nothing was happening. And it, we just... 
we weren't getting pregnant. We wanted another baby. And, we, and Dawn already had a name picked, and she wanted a little girl. And we were praying for a little girl. And Stacy didn't know that. And he took my hand, and he said, Michael, I sent something. And he said, I, just, I not only see the children that are going to come through here and the parents and families that are going to be blessed, but I see that God's going to bring you a baby girl, and she's going to be a great source of joy, and she's going to be a singer. And he just leans back, and Stacy was big, overweight guy, and he's just a big barrel laugh. <laughs> he said, I see so much joy on your face because he said, oh, she's going to sing. And what you don't know is that Dawn and I had picked the name Abigail, and Abigail, Google it. You can just go check me out. Just see if I'm telling you the truth. Google, Abigail means source of joy. Now, what did the prophet say? He says, I see God's going to bring you a little girl, and she's going to be a great source of joy. And I just I started weeping. Well, I knew, I knew that 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 I knew. Down in my knower, I knew it. <laughs> that I just heard from God. A prophet of the Lord had just spoken. Within less than a year, Abby was born. Right here behind me. Now, I told you that story because I have the one that I'm going to finish the message with. We were in a, in a meeting. I was in my 20s. Prophet of God was visiting, he preached an amazing message. The congregation was touched. Ministry was going on. He pointed to a few folks in the congregation, gave in a word from the Lord out of 1 Corinthians 14, 3, to edify, to exhort, to comfort, to build up, to stir up, to cheer up, bringing words. And he called the, this couple to the front. They were a ministry couple. They were pastors. And he said, throughout this whole message that I've been preaching, I've seen a cloud hanging over you. And he starts to prophesy and the lady puts her head down and she starts to weep and the husband has tears streaming down his face. And I can remember it. I can see it happening the way it happened 25, six years ago. And he calls them to the front and the, you can just see the look of terror on this woman's face because the prophet is very descriptive. He has a, a, a great ability to be able to articulate and express his words in a beautiful language and ideas. And he talks about the weight that has been. And he says, he shifts from talking to them as a couple. And he says, I really see that the cloud really has just centered itself over your life, my sister. And she just buckles even more. And he says, there's this weight that's been upon you that's just deteriorated your relationships and your joy and everything around you. And he says, I see it as just this shameful thing from your past. And she just sobs. And we're all just going, oh my goodness, is he going to tell this? And everybody's just, you can just, you can just feel the whole room just suck in air and they're waiting to see what's going to be said. And in that moment, the prophet of God says, and the Lord speaks to me and he tells you that that thing of shame from your past God has no record of it. He has forgotten it. And the word of the Lord to you, and he specifically looks at her and he says, the word of the Lord to you is forgive yourself, sister, because your heavenly father already did a long time ago. Let it go. Let it go. Before Joseph, you can birth fruitfulness. You're going to have to birth forgetfulness. Some of you this morning, you've been able to let some frustration you have at God go. You've been able to forgive your brothers and sisters. But the hardest thing for you to do today is to let the past go because of some decisions or actions that you made yourself in your own life. And the word of the Lord says, I've forgotten it. There's not a record. Let it go. I've already forgiven you. Bow your heads with me, please.
Gracious God and Father, thank you for this message today, for the word of the Lord that's come. With all of my heart, God, I thank you you've spoken to every person in this room. God, we choose to greet this day with forgiveness, to forgive you, to forgive others, and finally, Lord, to forgive ourselves. I, I want to say today to the believers that are in the room, I want to talk to you first, every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. Nobody has to know anything about what your stuff is. But if anything I said today spoke to you and you're carrying something in the way of forgiveness that needs to be given to somebody else or you need to have it poured out on yourself, would you just slip up your hand for just a second? All over the room. You can put your hands down. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, my brothers and my sisters, oh God, are hurting. We've wounded others. We've been wounded. We've been hurt. And God, we have this record, this log. Jesus, in the same way that you took the law and you nailed it to the cross when you were crucified, and all the accusation from our past was covered by the blood of the Lamb, God, today, every one of these believers and myself, I raise my hands. I need help, God. I need to forgive others. I need to forgive myself. God, we bow at the foot of your cross and we take our log and we nail it to the cross. In Jesus' name, I choose to forgive that person. I choose to forgive myself. Thank you, Jesus, that there's no record of it and you're not counting my iniquity against me. I reach out in faith and I take hold of that. To not just be barely free and know that I won't go to hell, but God, to be free right now, abundantly free. You holding nothing against me and me holding nothing back. Thank you that you do that work and give us a fresh start today. In Jesus' name. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. And I want to talk to you this morning. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life, there's no way you can forgive others or you can forgive yourself if you don't have that forgiveness first from God. I'm not going to be long on this. Just want to ask you this question. If you would like to have prayer, raising your hand doesn't save you. God alone does that work. Your response is merely to say, Jesus, save me. Come into my heart. I turn from my past. I choose to forget it and walk away from it. Thank you for a new start, a new day in my life. You know what? Take those words right there and just put them in your own heart and say, Jesus, save me. Do a new thing in my life. If you want to be included in this prayer right now that I'm going to pray for you, you want to have the confidence in your heart, yes, Jesus has forgiven you. You're his child. You've been born again. If you would, no, hand, no, no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would, just slip your hand up. I want to include you in this prayer. Anybody in the room this morning? Yes, I see that one. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? A couple of hands, brother and a sister. Yes. Anyone else in the room? Yes, there's another one. Thank you. I saw those three. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pray with me right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for these men and these women who've lifted their hands this morning who are saying, God, I want to know with confidence that I am your son, I'm your daughter, that you are my heavenly father. I've heard them sing about love that is indescribable. 
And today, Jesus, I just throw myself down at the foot of your cross and I say these words out of my heart. Save me. Save me. Forgive my sin. Come into my life and change me. Give me strength, oh God, to let the past no longer dictate my life. Thank you that you give me a fresh start in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said,